0: I hear the love story. You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio.
1: Hi, everybody. We are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy.
2: Hello, bello, bello. Burns,
1: and we are broadcasting on Future Theatre Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio from the banks of beautiful uh, Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Salisbury Village with our producer, the great Angel Espino. Say hello, Angel. Hello, Angel.
0: Hello, Angel. And Bill. And our
1: Bill. guest... And our guest tonight is a bona fide, certified, official Mm. hippie from the 1970s, Aldous Burbank. So we're really happy to talk Hmm. to him tonight about his
0: experiences. If I would have been a teenager during that era, I would have been a hippie. Totally. Yes, indeed. You would have been a hippie.
2: Mm, Not so fast because you, you don't just choose to be a hippie. You have to many times go against your family's wishes.
1: Done. You know? Yeah.
2: <laughs> really, I would have, too. I tr- I mean, I wanted to, too. And that's. this is going to be a... Uh, Aldous is not as old as you would think he is. I thought he was our age because of his experiences. And if you go on futuretheater.com, you'll see his bio that he wrote. He's also a really good writer. And he has been friends with all, you know, a, a complete um, array of important cultural heroes. Seriously, Cultural heroes. And I don't know how he did it at such a young age. He was born in 1960. He is only seven years older than my oldest child. And one so in- year
1: younger. And one year younger than President Obama.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: I mean, they're, they're the same generation.
2: Well, okay. Well, yeah. Okay. I hear you. I hear you. But I guess I don't put Obama and hippies in the same Mental well, no, no, place. but I'm just
1: saying it it just fascinates me that um he he is that age uh for a younger president so
2: well yeah and when and when you look at the array of people that okay i I found all this on the Belgab forum, okay, and I'm um, looking right now for the bio really fast um by, right down here okay when you go to futuretheater.com you will see that i like a good citizen of dark matter digital network and i bet you haven't done this yet angel <laughs> you have to put up something that says are you going to take a you want to take a ride midnight in the desert okay um we're we're entering this period called the blitz and i know you don't you you actually have a have a job and you don't spend your life actually
0: on Nancy, Belgac- actually Actually, Actually, a few Actually. nights ago, if you go to uh, skywatchersradio.com, there's mm-hmm. a nice little banner in the bottom of the page there for Art Bell's Time Travelers.
2: Oh, really? Already? I really? missed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm Already promoting it. it. Okay, well then I, I stand So excited. Corrected. I so stand
0: excited. corrected. Yeah. So I mean, as, soon, as soon as I went into the website a couple of days ago and I started looking around at had all these badges and all these cool things, I was like, ah, i got to put one of those on my website. Are you kidding me? Right. It's Art
2: well, see, you Done. did it on you did it on your own, and quite of frankly, course. quite frankly, uh, there is actually a thread on uh, BelGab where you can kind of go. It's called the Blitz. And it was created by Redacted, who is the queen of the Blitz. And basically, you can grab visuals. If you feel you're not very artistically inclined, you can grab someone else's visuals. They're all there for you to use. And a ton of really great uh, movies. But you, Angel, are on Facebook. So you should take, you should take the Facebook lead for uh, PSN, all the PSN people. Because I hate Facebook and never go there if I can avoid it. So I'm going to have to hold my nose and do it but you you could put those videos up on facebook too and 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 this is this yeah this is a cool experiment because um it's been tried before but it's rare that a personality well no maybe everybody says okay fans go and you know fan my flames fan my fan my you know help my help my cause but art bell in this case used to be a corporate guy and he's now doing it uh independently just like all the rest of us Right, and so he's asking for help.
0: Mm-hmm. And well, here's so, the thing: there's that blitz, right? I didn't know anything about the blitz. That's the first time I've heard about it. But yeah, I went on my own independently and put that on my website. What does that tell uh, you? There's a, yeah. a grassroots movement to get our bill back on the air, and there's a lot of people involved on the internet that want him back on the air and are going to do everything in their power to help the cause.
2: Well, I'm I'm so. impressed that I'm impressed you did it without even knowing about the blitz because no idea. Yeah, see, and I've been really busy trying to put Bella Haven on its feet, which I, in fact, did. Uh, Sunday night was our first show, and Monday night – no, wait, I'm wrong. It was Saturday, Saturday night. It was our, Saturday night was our first show. It's all kind of mushed into one long day. Um, it's harder to produce. That's what happens when
0: you do a five-in-the-morning show, four-in-the-morning
2: Yeah, <laughs> well, it, but, but it's not even the hour. It's the concept of producing. It's way harder than you think. You think,
0: <laughs> you know? I mean, that I know?
2: Oh, uh, if you could have been here uh, a couple of days, it was yesterday, I think, during the day. I can't remember whether it was yesterday or the day before. Bill tried to explain to me, I'm trying to learn about sound, and I really didn't realize speakers, uh, earphones. Okay, earphones are an output device, not an input device. And right now, Keith is probably smacking his head.
0: <laughs> saying, <laughs>
1: because I, can, I
0: can see him doing it right now. S-H-M. I mean, or SMH and, shakes and the my head. The explanation
1: went like this. Talk about a situation comedy conversation. <laughs> Why do they call speakers output when the sound goes into in. your ears? It has to be in your ears, so it's input. And then you're speaking out wow. of your mouth into a microphone, <laughs> so that's output. <laughs> You are laughing? That's <laughs> a huge. Problem. I wanted to be. I wanted to take my head, bend over, and run smack into a wall. <laughs> are you I'm serious? I'm serious. Me You're trolling right
0: now.
1: <laughs> no, this was a two-hour conversation.
0: <laughs> I believe you about the length of the conversation.
1: Where do you plug? Where do you plug this in? Oh. These are headphones, so they go into input. I say no, they go into <laughs> output because they're speakers. Speakers send the sound out. A microphone takes the sound in, but your mouth takes it out, but you're not playing <laughs> yourself. Well when you
2: speak, you're speaking Okay, stop.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna mute <meet> myself.
2: <laughs> That's very sad. That's very sad because you're speaking no,
0: what- out. So- What's funny about that though is that this explains why you couldn't get the mixing equipment to work when I Absolutely. first met you two. <laughs> that point. explains everything.
1: That's the I whole know. point. It's like this basic it's like right and left. It's like a basic concept, right? Which, so you're yeah. looking at a screen. It's the it's it's the right side of the screen. But 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 wait, that's my left hand. No, it's this I, I'm serious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> She's got equipment well. dyslexia. That's what it is, Bill. <laughs>
3: Oh,
2: well, my God. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> know, the a- only way I can I can remember it right now is by picturing two big, l- large speakers stuck on the side of my head each. And that tells me that these earphones, why don't you call, why do you call, if it's for your mouth, it should be called a speaker. So, instead of a microphone, it should be called a speaker. That's and the point. Mm. Yeah.
1: Because why you're would, speaking from mm. your mouth. But right. you're speaking out. It, and, your your right. voice is and going sound out. sound is going in your ears. In. So it's but, your input. And so I tried to finally explain that the problem, the failure to communicate, was that Nancy was thinking of the biological entity that is her as opposed right. to the technological entity that is the computer. So don't think of the biological entity – Think of the technological entity because that's what you're working with. But I'm still speaking and I'm still hearing. (laughs) Yes, but it's the
2: technological (laughs) entity. Yeah, but we have, we have two holes on the side of this uh, Macintosh, and every time I tell a male person that there are two holes on the side, which hole should I put it in, the first hole or the wow, second hole?
0: Whoa, whoa, I know. <laughs> whoa, whoa,
1: whoa,
0: whoa. This show just got really dirty. I'm sorry, Keith. No,
1: it didn't, <laughs> only if you're a guy. No, there were just two holes. And, and then and then you can imagine, okay. I'm going to mute. And, <laughs> and, if you think, and if you think that's bad. The first time we ever went sailing.
2: Oh, starboard, <laughs> starboard. Why don't you just say no, left or no, right? No, the first.
1: No, right. the first time we ever went sailing. The fact that we're so married was holding was holding a, a line, a sheet. So she holds it up and drops it and said, "I just dropped the string. Where do you see string? Where do you see string? That's the sheet. We're doomed." That was basically the first. I mean, we went sailing. Yeah.
2: Well, because guys have a tendency Uh. to to call things, you know, technical names. But in any event, um, the first, okay, Angel, the second show I have posted. It's it's got. I I don't know where the links are right now. It's a SoundCloud link, and I started tweeting it, so I'll I'll make sure I post them everywhere. But and it went pretty smoothly, and I left in the very opening because you will get a kick out of it because i thought i had solved my problems and so i started to play the jingle and we're we're merrily talking over the jingle thinking nobody could hear us and you know so it's a little <laughs> it's a it's a little homage to your producing that there's this really wrecked up beginning and so i just thought you'd get a kick out of It of it's like an inside joke but the rest of the show went really well and it's this is going to be so much fun i can't tell you i've I guess this is what I needed to do my whole life. You will find me a different person on future theater now because I can get to get all this stuff out with other like-minded chattering folk in the middle of the night. Because really, as you, as we talked before, there is no bar. The bar is so low. There's nobody to compete with. So hey, you know. Well, no, that's fun. Uh,
0: co- that's code word uh, for uh, it's a show with the chicks only and uh, no guys included. So she. Can
2: well, we had, a, well we had a girl talk. Yeah, well, except except we had a guy last night call in, and in, oh my God, the first night, the call-in thing with Skype is a little confusing, and there is no way to really get that information for a Mac. The Microsoft people and everybody else I could find online say, here's what you do with your PC, but I'm... Good luck,
0: that's what they say. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. so it's way harder than it looks, and the pressure's on, and then also, then I had a popping sound last night, and it turns out my USB microphone... It doesn't hurt to pull it out and put it back in. See, again, it's dirty. It's not all at dirty. All. <laughs> Especially if you do it really
0: fast. I'm just saying it works. 99% oh, yeah, of the time yeah. works every time.
2: Just the tip. Just the tip. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So anyway. So, yeah. With that said. I know. So <laughs> Bellhaven is launched. There's no need to even worry, are we going to do it or not? I literally wasn't sure until the end, but it's so it is hard to do uh we have and um a really nice person from Belgab has helped me get our own little chat um which is a wonderful thing to do so so we have our own little chat uh we have our own little uh time of night three o'clock you know, in the morning
0: if you're on p s n radio you already have a chat in there
2: I know, but I can't Just figure saying. out how to get i can fi- okay number one Just saying. but here's the thing I can't so far as far as I know broadcast from two places, so I don't know how to get PSN to hook into us, you see, we have to do more, see, you get a little frustrated, Angel, working with me, so we have to, we have to work a little harder to hook the PSN to get us on, I don't know how to do that, yet. <laughs> just don't even, don't even,
0: uh, well, it's a good thing I'm bald already, because if not, I would I know, be I know. balding <laughs> and my first experience, hu- you
2: know, my first husband uh, had to teach me to drive a stick shift right oh my after goodness. We were married yeah that was that was interesting too i It's amazing how mad guys get if, <laughs> It's just amazing they love you but Yeah. It's,
0: yeah, we love so you man. <laughs>
2: We love, yeah, well, so anyway, so, so here we are, we have, you know, we have a whole show uh, now that we can, you know, that, that, that takes a lot of the pressure off of me, if you ask me, because uh, this is not my one and only chance to speak all, all week, literally, because um, I'm a pretty quiet person n- normally, so now every night, <laughs> uh, that's true, but anyway, so there you go, every night, uh, if you're up in the middle of the night, and Angel, you have promised you would call in, uh-huh, and you should try if you're up. If you're um, awake,
0: and yeah, that happened, and I'm usually asleep at that time.
1: You're usually asleep. Yeah, that's that yeah, lousy
0: job. Most likely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, work. Yeah, it sucks it's that job. To work. It's, yeah. it's
1: that awful money you have to make. It just, you know, know just what I'm sullies, saying? Those, those life
0: sucking bills that I get every month. Life sucking. They just it, suck it, the it, life It's true. It,
1: it, it just sullies everything. Sullies everything. Hard, I, horrible. So, um, So here's. There is, a big, there is a big debate going on, a big fight going on in the – it's not in the extraterrestrial UFO community, but is in the, it is in the exobiology community right now. Uh, Which is – what,
2: what, what kind of community would exobiology be?
1: Wouldn't that be – exobiology – life okay. in outer space, but it's not right. UFO stuff. These are real biologists who um, study the potential for life on other worlds. Right. And this, 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 um, actually, it's breaking out into a fight. It's really fascinating. We have, well, not we, it's the European Space Agency, has uh, a, a, a lander, a, a robotic lander, that landed on a comet. And one of the things that a group of scientists in England, actually in Wales, have thought about is they believe that on the surface of this comet is a dark organic material and they're very excited about the organic the presence of the organic material because what they're saying is that may be the residue of life beneath the surface of the planet so this could it's actually a comet wait wait and, yeah, and it's comet. It's a, yeah it's a comet it's a it's a comet and comet. so yeah right and so what they're excited about is that there may actually be microbial life on the on this comet actually in this comet just below the surface and another group of of exobiologists are saying no 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 you guys really are off the wall you are just hypothesizing speculating without any evidence whatsoever there can't be any life on this comet because first of all since this comet passes so close to the sun any form of life would simply be burned incinerated away but but
2: right. there's life there's life inside of volcanoes they have
1: found and that's what the exactly what the exobiologists are saying that there are extreme environments on earth inside volcanoes all mm-hmm. the way in 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 boiling hot plumes at the on the ocean floor they have discovered life and well, if there's course. life there then they're saying there could be life in the most harsh place, in the harshest places uh, out there in space. Hmm. And so this comet may be the test tube for whether there is life. Now, there's no there's no life-determining experiment on the lander yeah, on this yeah, comet. Yeah, yeah, right yes,
2: now. see, that's the thing. If they had sent a female lander, You know, just like in our kitchen, if something is under the sink or looks funny, you know, next to the floor on the refrigerator, a husband will say to his wife, or when there's a, uh, you open up a container and you get your wife to smell it. um, Women seem to know what the residue actually is. You can sort of, uh, because since you're going to be cleaning it up, and so I think. If they had a female lander, you see, the female lander would just sniff around and say, "Okay, fine, Shwipe,
0: swipe, swipe, and I'm only... Yeah.
2: When
0: when they give a gender to the lander, I'm-
2: yeah. Well, they they well, here's the thing. They uh, number one, they went to that. <laughs> well, they went to that. I was, I was clowning because I wanted to I lead know, into the into the soccer game, which you did not watch. Not but at all. No in, interest. Yeah, it was fabulous. I don't see how a guy could miss that sh- that soccer game. So many pretty girls, but but. Um, what was the, what, do, isn't this the same comet that they went to because they got sounds from it? Weird sounds?
1: No, this is different. Are you sure? This yeah. Is the, yeah. This has been, this has been a, a, a many years long mission for right, this say, craft yeah, to, yeah. To, to catch up to this comet. But it wasn't that they heard sounds, That it was a close enough comet. I mean, actually a little too close for comfort, but a close enough comet that they felt they could actually land something on it and it had this really strange shape. What, what fascinates me is if there is microbial life on this planet, if there is any trace of DNA, that would mean that the Crick and Watson theory of panspermia might mm-hmm. just be correct. That mm-hmm. right, That mm-hmm. life was spread yep. through the universe by the spreading of DNA, maybe by some alien race.
0: Or no, by a complete sure. chance, maybe a planet blows up and total... that. Or by
1: total. Yeah.
4: Right. I mean, maybe it's a, or... it's possible
0: that a planet gets hit by a few meteors, it blows up, and whatever remains are on that planet's you know crust that or pieces that fly off of the planet. Whatever it is on there in comet form uh, might be what inhabits another planet millions of years later. I mean. And that's exactly you know. what Seth Shostak, who was the head of SETI,
1: told us on UFO Hunters. He said. Mm that we earth people are the extraterrestrials because yeah, it was that, yeah. elements from outer space that fell into our soupy oceans mm-hmm. and that's where life began. So he said, really, and, and, and for all we know, it could have been chunks of Mars that were blown off when meteors hit Mars right. that landed yep. in our ocean. Yep. So he said, in fact, we could all be Martians.
2: Right. Right. And our guest tonight, Aldous Burbank, not his real name, um, is friends with a fellow, uh, one of my heroes. Or, or we'll talk about it a little bit. His name is Paul Stamets, and he and he and turns McKenna are famous for telling people that mushroom spores uh, can can ex- uh, can live in the um, the void of space. Mushroom spores can stay alive, and they're floating all over the world because of this. And so. It could be that there's more intelligence in the chaos than we think. That's kind of.
0: I think there, there's going to be a, a good possibility, and I think one day we'll discover that there's actually life forms that float in space itself and just fly around, like, and they're actually yeah. living life yeah. forms. Not there like a to. not like a little gray in a ship, no, but like an actual no, no, no. like no, a dragon in space right. or something like that. Yeah, that's. I think we're in to I think stuff you're
1: right. Like or we may figure out that it's mushrooms that are the extraterrestrials too.
0: Could or be.
2: the over- yeah. the mushrooms could be the overlord because if you listen to any no no no
0: no uh, that's Keith
2: the Keith is the overlord it's true <laughs> Keith is the overlord and Keith and Keith I have to throw out a big shout out he helped us on I think it was Sunday night I'm not sure which night it was but because it's all one mush at this point but he listened uh, and and we shared screens and he now he realizes why it's so hard for me. Or or why it's so hard to explain something. He was sh- we were sharing screens and trying to do the sound stuff, and um, but he but he really really tried and he really worked a long time and in fact you know but um, we so um, how much do all the man? <laughs> yeah, that's where no, I'm going. No, that's the worst part going. about
1: it is Keith probably went to bed sobbing.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's finally
0: over. <laughs> <laughs> it's finally over. <laughs> Never thought it would end.
2: Well, you know. Um, the, um, the thing I will do uh, to thank Keith is I will put a, give a plug for our competitor for Bella Haven. If you don't like Bella Haven and you hate the, fa- the concept of women chattering away, and not women, our, our second caller in the world. Oh, by the way, here's, a, here's, a, here's cool. We've been doubling our numbers every single time. What do you think of that? Yeah, yeah. but it's
0: only two shows in. I mean, that's not really right. a good – Consensus. But it's, I mean, a, yeah, like what? it's a trend. So, if, it's a trend. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you think positive, though, Nancy. I'm not going to burst your bubble on this one. Go ahead. Enjoy well, your yeah. moment.
2: <laughs> well, here's the thing. If you're having fun, shouldn't you keep on doing something that is fun, even though it might be hard to learn? Um, when you're actually doing it and it's all working out, it feels like a symphony to me. It feels like this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be what what I should be doing. And if you don't like that, if you don't want to hear that sort of thing, and believe me, if you don't like the sound of my voice on this show, you do not want to go to Bellhaven because I'm all happy. And, um, <laughs> you know, but but we have a competitor, and the competitor is the other half of the Bell – the, 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 the um, Midnight in the Desert Blitz, if you will – after and midnight, it's, right? It's. it's I after think it's midnight. called after. I think it's called. Is it called after midnight? It's no, no,
0: no. I think so. That's what they're. The other. Midnight.
2: No, the other side of midnight.
0: The other side of midnight.
2: The, there
0: you go. Uh, the, other right, side. the other
1: side. Yeah, of yeah. Midnight. You
0: are right. The right. day and, after midnight. The day after tomorrow. The, we don't a movie Yeah, there,
2: that right. would been. Yeah. The other side of midnight, and and this is the. Uh, if you know Richard C. Hoagland, you would know that he would know about this comet. He would know if it's in fact the same one. Don't you remember recently? About seven or so months ago, we landed on a comet. um, Yes, yes.
1: This is the same one. It was the European Space Agency um, lander that landed on that comet.
2: But the reason they chose that one, which is pretty eerie to me, is they got weird musical sounds out of it. Yes. uh, Intelligent sounds.
1: Yes, yes. They had... Structured sounds, in other words,
2: the sounds and, they be- you know, were
0: structured. Yes. So
2: it's, it sounds like after, uh, uh, the aftermath of a party, you've got you've got residue and well, you've got
0: music. It's, it's not too far fetched that there could be a base on a comet. I mean, that's a great place to have a, some kind of an alien base. Yeah. Uh, like if a you think probe. about it, that is that's a perfect ship. It yeah. is. It is a spaceship. Yeah. That's exactly yeah, that's what, well, it well,
2: what it is. Yeah. Well, how big? You can land
0: something I on comment? there and just station there. Boom! Fly all through space.
2: Right. How how big a comet?
0: Were oh, you I say not Something the size of it, Texas. Mm, a little smaller. I mean, it isn't
1: that it, it isn't that big at all. But it's got this really odd shape, like a barbell.
2: Right. And does it have a funny name? Are we calling it something? Are we calling it you know
0: Comet Com- Bell?
2: Comet Bell. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cute. That's good. Maybe this is all in preparation for Art Bell. Well, take so a ride. Bar- yeah. On comet Bell. So- so Angel, are you going to listen to Art Bell when he comes back on?
0: Of course. Are you kidding me?
2: Well, what's going to happen? You're going to stay up till three.
0: Well, I usually stay up to two thirty three anyway. That's when I go to bed.
2: Well, why you want you... me to
0: stay up to five? I can't. Do no,
2: that. no, no, no. Why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't you call us before you go to bed? Right before you go to bed, and you get the first call in, and we say hi. See, Angel. but the thing is,
0: by the time three in the morning hits, I'm usually uh, very drowsy, and uh, I start talking like that. So, but you,
2: well, you nobody wants it, to hear that. Yeah, but you'd fit right in then. We're
0: when is Hogan? When is Hogan going to start? He hasn't started yet, right? That's a really no. good
2: question. That's a good question. Well, he started. I would before... think he's starting
0: on the on the twentieth, right? Same day as Art. Mm. I well,
2: wonder. Okay, Rem- Okay, hmm. here's a here's a here's a bit of news. Remember? Do you know? You guys know the story of how he basically got the show? Well, anyway, it, it goes like this. It had to do with um, a, a debacle at the other network, and it all revolved around the. Uh, important fact that we have a probe, I believe, going very close to where Pluto. Yeah, Pluto. I think it's doing a uh, flyby of Pluto. Right on we the seventh. We rendezvous
1: with Pluto uh, in a, just about two weeks, or maybe next week.
2: Right, and that's the night I believe he's going to start his show. I don't know whether it's oh, okay. going to continue. Continue from then, but I think he's gonna do a really long show then because uh, he you know, I think Hoagland uh, Richard C. Hoagland, we'll call him Hoagie for short because that's or, a term.
0: Yeah, I, R-C- R-C- I call him I call him the hoaxer. That's just me.
2: The hoaxer, yeah. And I'm gonna yeah. call him Hoagie Hoagie because Hoagie is my favorite sandwich. I'm a
0: Hoagamaniac, that's what I'm saying.
2: Oh me too. Oh my goodness. Do you God know God. Fact do you know the, this factoid? The town I was born in is the town that invented the hoagie. It really did. Outside of Philly, it's south of Philadelphia. Does somebody
1: that. know the origin of the word hoagie? No. Uh, hoagie no, but I karma. know the origin of or the word stokey. No, here is the origin of the word hoagie. This is official. That sandwich was invented at a place called Hog Island in, Del- in Delaware Bay. Outside of Philadelphia, it's in Philadelphia. There's a, there's the uh, Navy Yard, the Philadelphia Navy Yard, and the workers would pile on these meat and ah. spice sandwiches. And the workers at Hog Island were called Hoagies. and that nice. became the name of the sandwich. How did you know? And this? you'll How find you that, this? and you will find that, and many more in the cookbook that is all about turkey. Really.
2: We yeah, put the, that's we, actually. Did, did we in, put, I put that in the cookbook. I put that in the wow. cookbook.
0: you, my wow. friend, are a well of information. That's amazing.
2: Yes, indeed, a deep well. And in fact, I didn't even read the cookbook. I I contributed to the Neither cookbook. Did but I, I actually? But no, um... none of us read it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll rectify that. We will rectify that because guess what, Angel? On our show in Bella Haven, we talk about all the stuff we can't talk about here because we don't have any bosses. <laughs> Zero bosses. Wow! So there are no, you know, except for the staff
0: attorney, right? There you go.
2: Yeah. Well, we can't. We can't. We can't uh, libel people. Uh, We can giggle, but 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 yeah. But Hoagie, Hoagie is going to be our name for our competition because it's an endearing term, and it's you know that there you go. And and Hoagland is um he's a guy who can really talk. I I should speak, but he can really talk. He fills. Uh, entire auditoriums, and he keeps them riveted to their chairs um, for six hours, you know, without without a break. And I've seen it in, with my own eyes. And so, if you like Hoagland, uh, Richard C. Hoagland, yes,
0: yes, yes, yes.
2: or if you want to listen to Bella Haven, then you should go to Dark Matter Digital Network, sign up for The Other Side of Midnight. It's five bucks. And then you can... You don't have to listen live. You can listen to Bella Haven live and then uh, listen to H- Richard C. Hoagland in, uh, you know, afterward, like when it's you know daytime or something. Or this is the thing, Angel. I want to re- 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 rerun the show like at 5 in the morning, like you were saying. But I don't know how to do that yet, so we're getting there. You know? So I'm, I'm starting – I just got my first one up on SoundCloud. So once I have the product, Nancy I can figure baby
0: out baby steps. I know, I know. You'll get there. You'll get there. So, so
2: many. Oh my god, it's hard. Really hard. And you know what? You When you have to learn this stuff, you really have to kind of stop stop doing everything almost. You know, I can't get my mind around tweeting and all that stuff because all I can think about is line in. Why does line in? Line in, I think <laughs> well, anyway,
1: whatever. It's... it's Line in is the microphone. Line out is the speaker. In mic, Outspeakers. There you go. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get. We'll we'll get it. And what we're going to get right now is these messages from our network. Oh, that's hard to
2: do. That's hard to do too.
1: We will be back with our guest Aldis Burbank after these messages on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. Stay with us for a fascinating trip. Through Hippie Land with Aldous Burbank on the other side after these messages. See you in a few. It's been so long
5: since I've seen her face. I pray she's doing fine.
3: I still recall.
6: This is James Swagger, host of Capricorn Radio. I'm also
7: an author, engineer, and researcher. Capricorn Radio covers alternative history, alternative science, philosophy, and truth-orientated discussions. We are proud to be on the Dark Matter Radio Network live at 8 p.m. Saturdays, Eastern Standard Time. You can catch extra info on darkmatterradio.net, jamesswagger.com for yours truly, CapricornMembers.com for the archives. Don't forget, truth is not democratic.
3: Truth is
4: truth. Hello, my name is Howard Hughes, and I'm in London. And I've been proud to bear this name all my life. Over here in the UK, I'm known as a broadcast journalist. I've been involved in some of the big stories of our time the fall of the Berlin Wall, the death of Princess Diana. I told London about that. And on the first and second anniversaries of 9-11, I was there at Ground Zero, speaking to the people who were directly involved And those experiences I will never forget. So news is my thing. But my great love is my show, the one that I produce, The Unexplained. Over the years on this show, I've spoken to people like the late Al Bierlich from the Philadelphia Experiment, Edgar Mitchell, the amazing Apollo astronaut, Dr. Stephen Greer, David Icke, and Uri Geller. People like Richard C. Hoagland have become personal friends over the years. I met him in London. So you can see that these sort of topics are what I like to discuss. Please join me on my show from London, The Unexplained, Monday nights on the Dark Matter Network.
6: Here's a riddle for you. What do the California gold rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages mysterious 19th century flying machines and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A. A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more.
4: That's 954-973-3374 Or visit KeyInformation.com
6: Hello, I'm Bruce Pearson, documentary producer, investigator, and co host of Unknown Origins Radio, which airs each Thursday evening from 8 till 10 p.m. Eastern Time right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network. Please join me and my colleague Mark Johnson for two hours of thought provoking interviews discussing some of today's most intriguing subjects with researchers, authors, and eyewitnesses on a range of topics. So, whether you're a newcomer to the community of exploration of the unexplained or a seasoned veteran and investigator, I'm sure you will find interesting content and content. Concepts on Unknown Origins Radio, right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network. And I encourage you to check out the entire lineup of unique programming here on the network. There is truly something for everyone. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to sharing our fascinating guests and their topics on Unknown Origins Radio, Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, here on the Dark Matter Radio Network.
1: And we are back on Future Theater Live with our guest, Aldous Burbank, on Future Theater, on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. Thank you for joining us, Aldous. We are going to have a trip basically talking about all the people you met. And I don't know how. How did you do it? So much in all those years. (laughs) Okay, so tell me. Well, I guess
8: I got lucky. I consider myself a hippie uh version 2.0 because the real original hippies were really children of the 50s you know started getting drafted
2: Mm -hmm. right the form and
8: uh yeah well i came in behind them so i just missed the draft and i think that i got a little better view of what was going on to see the uh successes and failures of the 60s and i was uh Pretty normal kid watching this stuff go on in the older generation. So I got really lucky. I think I got to pick and choose my interests and And my directions.
2: What state did you grow up in as a young boy?
8: Well, I was in a little tiny mining town in southern Arizona, which made it even more extrapolated. I felt uh, isolated from the movement, observing from afar. And before you knew it, it was uh, kind of uh, picking me up. Right, right,
2: right. And you were born. My, I was, I was, I w- Knowing that you have, in fact, met uh, Terence McKenna, for example, and Cesar Chavez, and uh, let's see who else. But, but I, I assumed you were older than me, you know. And when I saw <laughs> your birth, your birth date, I was shocked. Um, how how did you come to meet these elder statesmen a- as a young guy? Well, I guess you could uh, do it. You could, I say, got- hello. You could say, yeah.
8: I got uh, lucky with my parents, you know, and my dad was really involved in the civil rights movement. So I kind of, um, I don't know, it's kind of funny, but I consider the whole Planet of the Apes movies somewhat of a metaphor for what happened with the brown rights movement in the 60s, you know? If you remember those movies, the first talking ape was named Caesar, right?
3: Right. Well, right. so
8: <laughs> when I was a kid, I'm running around in the back seat of my dad's '66 Impala all around the West with Cesar Chavez in the back, you know, pinion nuts mm-hmm. talking about life and stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, "Well, this guy is kind of like the first talking Mexican, you know?
2: It's
3: true. In yeah, a way, it's true.
8: yeah. In a way, he was kind of yeah. like the guy who, even though he wasn't uh, educated." he was charismatic and he knew how to say something and actually I think the third win for him was that he was honest you know it's my take on it
3: that's so, a good take when combine, that's,
8: yeah. yeah when you combine integrity with the ability to speak and the charisma I mean it was kind of hard to stop him at that point but anyway I, I knew I already knew I was a little lucky I'm like wait a minute this is not quite normal because every day my day involves, you know, going to radio stations, TV places, going to church and having a rally, going to a park in the evening, having another rally, and a lot yeah. of college kids that were taking a year off were uh, in our entourage, and then uh, you, you had like the folk singer, singers, the actors, the supporters, so I, every day was kind of like a new blitz, you know, we're just like, what's going on today? Well, that was kind of my childhood. I got really
6: lucky that way. Yeah. Well, and you know, was, when yeah, you talk. Yeah.
1: I you know when you're talking about Cesar Chavez um he he always struck me when the um, when uh, the united farm workers movement started as kind of a version a, a 1960s version of tom Jode from the grapes of wrath you know that that great speech that tom Jode gives at the end of that book where he says whenever a cop is beating on a kid i'll be there because he because tom Jode is kind of transformed from just one of the Jodes from just one of the kids, he's transformed almost into this mystical figure. You know, he's just like hovering everywhere, kind of the spirit of the movement against the um, against the oppression of laborers in California during the nineteen thirties. And so, I always saw Cesar Chavez as as that kind of reincarnation of somebody daring to stand up to the growers in California to unionize the farm workers.
8: That's an interesting take because for better or worse, it took a charismatic personality to get the message out. And if you pin everything on a particular person, well, as soon as that uh, person passes away or is discredited or co-opted or whatever the deal is, then the movement often goes with it, you know?
2: Right, right, right. It
8: really does take, it does take somebody to go ahead and stand up and be the, Kind of rock star. And if you want to know my take on it, I mean, I, uh you know, run around the country and I see Cesar Chavez Boulevard, Cesar Chavez School, Cesar Chavez Park. There's the statue, you know, here at Sacramento at the Capitol well, there's also, know, commemorating the.
2: There's the, also a you know, really.
8: I'm, I'm just. Go ahead.
2: No, I'm sorry. There's also a really famous New Yorker cartoon, which I think uh, kind of it, it, it's the first thing, the first time I heard his name, where this woman is saying to another woman in a, in a penthouse, forgive me, Cesar Chavez, but I've got to have a grape. And she's picking, you know, a yeah, grape Exactly. Off. But it has a beautiful be... musical musicality to that phrase. And every time I eat a grape, I literally in my head say, forgive me, Cesar Chavez, but yeah. I have to have a grape. I got to have a grape.
8: Well, that was you know. the world I grew up in, that kind of little world. But my yeah, take on yeah. it in the end, now, you know, all these years later, is that knowing him as I did, he would not be proud of having all this stuff named after him. I mean, okay. he was not into that. Uh, what well, did he would he, did want he, did would he t- be, he? To be to be – he'd want something like Farm Worker Boulevard, you know. Uh right. Uh, right. Uh, you know, uh, the people who pick your food, uh, high school, uh, it was not about him. And yet, you know, it was all around him. So it was quite the honor to grow up with somebody like that who had integrity and yet was kind of like a like a rock star, you know, for the civil rights movement. But let me tell you, he was not popular. I remember bomb threats. I remember people getting beat up. I remember my family being blacklisted. The neighbors complaining, not just because of the uh, all the uh, cars and all the press and everything, but because they seriously concerned that their little block was going to get bombed or burned, you know, by somebody who didn't like what he was up to. So it was not all easy street. Now it seems like a romantic kind of deal, you know.
2: Well, I wonder, did he ever tell you what got him involved, why he decided to make a life change or do this sort of thing? stand up
8: well he was kind of out there already i don't know if he knew but he uh was one of the early pachucos in the zoot suits you know and oh. he was already yeah he would i look at him like that he was already a little bit cutting edge and mm-hmm. when he saw that this whole his whole generation was really not going anywhere and they were going to continue to show up at all their next migrant you know itinerary right. jobs in like a car with bailing wire holding it together mm-hmm. i don't know I, I the way i look at it is i have the same feeling that he d- did probably sometimes which is hey guy you only got one life let's we'll see what we can do with it and and to like i say i don't think he'd be proud of all this stuff like you know but i will say this when he died and we attended his funeral you know at, we were very close to the family and My pops had just passed away 30 days before, so they called us, and they said, hey, well, bring the family over. We want you over here. I'd go over there. And I noticed that the people who showed up, and there were like tens of thousands of people who showed up, they tended to have um, upgraded automobiles, cars that they were making payments, insurance payments on, car seats. I mean, in the 25, 30 years that he did his thing, he actually did upgrade the lifestyle of a heck of a lot of people.
1: Yeah, so. so basically, what you just demonstrated, what, what you just demonstrated, which is fascinating, because it's a uh, that is a snapshot of an economic movement. What you just demonstrated is that if you uh, provide the opportunity for a cohort, for a, for a class of people, for a cohort of people, to make money, to earn more money. What they do is they upgrade their lifestyle through consuming and through consuming the economy. Because think of all the people who had to make those car seats and make those cars and the money and the people who were making money on the interest from those car payments and the dealers who sold those cars, all of them made money because Cesar Chavez started a movement of United Farm Workers that raised an entire class of people from basically near poverty to wage earners spending their wages. I mean, that's, yep. exactly, I- that's exactly the argument of bottom-up demand-side economics.
8: And it's interesting that that was considered a civil rights issue at the time
1: you're right. right it was a, largely an economic issue right of course but i mean the uh, the, uh, the fact that you have a whole generation of farm workers whose families then become upgraded into the middle class and this is exactly all this the fight we are having now
2: yeah that's what i was going to say with uh, with uh, look at what bernie sanders is what's happening around bernie sanders he's filling very large venues of People who are suggesting that we need to get the middle class back. We need to have a middle class again, or even a lower class. I mean, people it are really. It doesn't matter.
1: We need to have a class of people who, who are buying things, who need to improve their lifestyle, and the only way to do that. Really, if you're having kids, is to buy that car, is to feed that kid, is to get a car that's not held together with bailing wire, is to, is, is to get – I mean, that's literally what it is. And that is the – it's the migration of workers, but it's the migration upwards through social mobility as well. And so imagine that, as you said, all this, that comes out of basically a civil rights movement.
8: Yeah, and that's kind of why I consider myself a hippie version 2.0 rather than 1.0. Because I get that we can't just go back to the land.
3: And, right, uh, right.
8: It's not going to be that simple. As soon as I had kids, I realized, hey, buddy, guess what you need? a JO.B. right. but I got to see how that evolves, you know, within the generation before me. I saw them start to have babies, and the guys who tried to drop out all of a sudden had to get jobs. I'm like, hmm, let me think hmm. about this.
2: <laughs> right, right. Well, I wanted to ask you about the farm because that's a good that was a good um uh a, a, what? A, an experiment in a bunch of San Francisco kids moved to a state, I believe Tennessee, right?
3: Right. Loose Tennessee.
2: Yeah, and they're and they're and I recently bought a book, um you can still buy books on the internet through uh, Amazon used books.
1: Um Those the, are those things
0: where... With- things, they're called paper, right, Nancy?
1: Exactly. Yeah, they're and so you, strange. And they're Ooh. great because they don't take any electricity to read
0: if you, you read you, in you, the sunlight.
1: But yeah. you, can, you can put a mark in them and then come right back to that spot when you pick it's it up fascinating.
0: fascinating. That's witchcraft.
1: And you don't need the hell you see. And, and you don't need a screen. You actually, you could use your eyes. Well, you can see it in the sun clearly. Clearly, I, I, don't, I,
0: don't, I don't believe you. I don't believe it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Such still exists.
2: Well, this book is a book about uh, cannabis as a religion, and I'm trying to remember the exact name, but it was written Best by… Best book
0: ever written. Best book yeah. ever.
2: Well, this is Stephen Gaskin who wrote this, I believe, and he, he had a thing called The Farm, a collective called The Farm, and I always fantasized, fantasized that I could, you know, just go and do that. And so you, in fact, have been to The Farm, and can you tell us what it was like… When you were there and what it's like now, the farm, the experiment?
8: Yeah, well, as a matter of fact, uh, one of my children was born at the farm.
2: Right, he right. He was a
8: uh, ch- child, 1776, born at the little farm birth house there. I took that as a significant
2: 1776. number. 1776. Yeah. Yeah. Seven- yeah, nice. And, and his just name is... Na-
8: his name is Moses, and just to brag, mm-hmm. at the time he had the largest cranial circum- circumference of any of their seventeen hundred and seventy-five other babies there. Really? Uh, that were born there. So I took that as a good sign too. Wow, but, that's a, you know, it's an
2: amazing. Uh, and he was he was not born naturally though.
3: He oh, was right.
8: You you uh, read one of my little tales, and that my, the child I'm speaking of now is child number. and child number five was actually not born naturally. But child number four was uh, birthed by Ina Mae Gaskin, you know, the famous midwife who wrote Spiritual Midwifery. Right,
2: right, right, right.
8: She was the lead uh, midwife, but they were training, so there were like four other ladies in the house at the time, and a totally freaked out me. mm
3: -hmm. So
8: it was a good time, and um, I knew them through the late 80s when the big change for them came in 83. They went from being a spiritual community to being a corporation. And basically, they actually, what they became was a small southern Tennessee town. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they became kind of like Tennessee Hicks. Um, well, just in a wow. very, very few years, they actually became local indigenous people. They got the accent and the whole deal. And guess what? Wow. Their kids thought they were the biggest squares in the world. So <laughs> the whole thing went down and just like, I don't know. 15, 20 years, their babies started to have babies, and the parents were totally freaked out by their kids having babies and eating mushrooms, and it was like the whole replay all over of the generational gap, all on the farm, you know? Wow.
1: Yeah. Wow. Now, now there is a, a great... So- now, since you're a writer all this, there is a great sociological study you could do about just that group.
8: Well, in well, fact, want, when, but, but, uh, we yeah. pulled, when we pulled up to have our baby, we were, like, doing a doing a flashback situation because we rolled up in a 30-foot International Harvester bus. See, the original mm-hmm. farm was 50 buses that were wandering around the country uh, talking to people, going to churches, giving talks about spiritual values
2: and well, trying to bridge the, uh, the
8: generation gap.
2: Yeah, and the Mary so Prankers. we pull up in a
8: bus and we're like, what? You're like us, you know, 25 years ago. What the heck's up? So the kids gravitated towards us. They were like, wow, you're doing like what my mom and dad were doing. And now they're like so square that we can't take it anymore. Will you please get us out of here? And I remember the first farm grandchild. In other words, the first baby born from the first two young people who were born at the farm who conceived a child. So it was like the first third generation child. And let me tell you, the parents were not happy. They were all about you're too young, you don't know what you're doing, you mm. you have to get your education, you can't be having a child right now. <laughs> it's just so funny how things turn around, and bite you in the butt. You know
0: exactly. Hmm. The father becomes so the what son, you, and the son becomes the father.
1: Right. And so, what were you going to yep. ask? So Nancy had a question. Um,
2: well, I forget, but let's because here's the thing: we do <laughs> have we mm. do have a phone um, lag, this when. Uh, you're on a cell phone I believe, and there is a tiny lag, so I have to wait two beats. I don't want to interrupt you and I and I and I yet you know, I don't want to keep the flow I'm trying
1: to learn how to keep the <laughs> flow going. It's very sad. Well it's just yeah. but, but, but i move like, on. <laughs> No, go ahead. Ask your question because I want to get into the whole uh, story of uh, Timothy Leary. So ask your question first. But
2: before we we leave the farm experiment, I wondered what Aldous's take was on the – what was the thing recently? I can't even remember the name of it. Um, uh, Occupied. um, Occupy Wall Street. Oh, the
1: Occupy Wall Street.
2: Yeah. Because it seems to have just blown up and gone away, sort of.
8: Well, so the farm had land. The farm actually had land that they could occupy. They started with 500 acres, and then they bought the adjacent 1,100, you know, a few years later. So I guess what I'm coming up with immediately on that, the the disparity between having a place to occupy and occupying somebody else's space.
2: Well, the Occupy movement, though, the Occupy movement itself... Uh, has w- w- All I mean by that is that it was a really well-organized thing at first. It seems to have been organized from the ground up. You know, we're trying to organize an art bell blitz. And it's interesting watching self-organization among like-minded, uh, good-meaning people. And Occupy, the whole entire movement, I thought was very, uh, you know, exciting. But then it sort of just blew up. It went away. And I wondered if you were looking at that from a different angle, maybe from California, sure. But, you know, the whole, it it seems to have, I mean, millions of people were marching in the cities for a little while about the banks and this and that, whatever it was, Wall Street.
8: Well, so there was an analogous uh, kind of march at the time that the uh, hippies were making the farm happen, too. You know, young kids were just like leaving home, writing a letter saying, you know, I've met some beautiful people, mom and dad. And so there was like an exodus, but really I'm back to the farm hippies were smart enough to realize Stephen Gaskin was a really smart man. God rest Mm -hmm. his soul, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, he was very intelligent. And I think he realized that to really be a movement, you need a home base. So Mm -hmm. they pitched everything they had and bought the farm and they're still there, I guess is my point. They are still Mm -hmm. there.
2: It's true. Yeah. It's true. But but don't you think that uh, some of the historical movements, Mormonism, and uh, you know the uh, the ladies, uh, the garment workers, and stuff. A lot of those, uh, I guess, were like the Wall Street thing. The Wall Street thing may still have a legacy in its, you know, in its future. Um, but I like the sound that they became. I actually like the sound they became uh, locals. They be, it became a town, probably called the town. I guess if that's if they're keeping <laughs> with their, their naming convention, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So, but it had nothing to do – your bus had nothing to do with the Mary Prankster bus, right?
8: Oh, no. I was just like a late reverberation of that kind of thing. You know, we were on our mm-hmm. own bus, and it was long past the time it was popular. But everywhere we went, people would come up to the bus when we were parked and say, oh, man, I would mm-hmm. love to do this. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah.
2: So. Well, and, and if anybody wants to do it right now, uh, we have a friend um, – Dr. Uh, Hieronymus, Dr. Bob Hieronymus, he's in uh, the East, he's in the East Coast, and he has done beautiful murals, and he's done a great bus. He, I think he might have, hit, well, his bus is very famous, the artwork on his bus. Uh, I have to look up and see how his bus is connected to the whole hippie thing, but, you know, they've made murals of, of his bus, and he's a radio guy. He does a really great radio show, Dr. Bob Hieronymus, he's done it forever, uh, and we really That's need to... Re-in- reignite our friendship, yeah. Right.
1: It's Century 21 Radio, and he is out of the suburbs of Baltimore in Maryland.
2: In, in, not Boston. Are you sure it's not Boston? No,
1: he's in Maryland. He's in, he, okay. he's in Baltimore. Yep.
2: Good, Yeah. And so, yeah, so there's that. But um, we've already eaten up an hour, and I hope we can get to uh, before Timothy Leary, because I know Bill has a Timothy Leary uh, request line. I, I want just want to, to hear him.
1: how you met Timothy Leary, but go ahead.
2: Well, I want to talk about Terence McKenna. Any little, tiny little thing you can say. Um, I just have such a, I, I think he's the greatest mind that we've had, at least in, in his lifetime. You know, it, it's debatable, but you can go to YouTube and you can listen to him and you can start to realize your, your world. He's like a, he's like a psychedelic drug himself. What his words open your mind, I think. So any little thing that you can say about Terrence, I would really
8: love to hear. Well, you know how uh, one of his things was the logos, Uh the The word, the verbalization bringing reality into being, basically. Well, thinking about Terrence and how I miss him and his little ways, I think that he was kind of a master of that. With his words, he could carry you along and open and develop this space that people wouldn't Uh otherwise touch themselves. I, I yes. saw him do it several times in small groups, let's say 30 people or so, and mm-hmm. he would elevate the group just like, like a Cesar Chavez. You know, mm-hmm. he had this mm-hmm. certain charisma where people were hooked in with their little ring of perception. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I get what this guy's saying. And again, mm-hmm, you know, hey, yeah. this is interesting. I'm just thinking about it now. But one of the things about Terrence that allowed people to do that, I believe, made it comfortable to do that, was it felt like you could trust him he also had a certain amount of integrity that carried through. And that may be a key element, you know, now that I think about it, uh, the guy was a good person. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. And he even, uh, mentioned that in true hallucinations, or Mm -hmm. at least in talking about his adventures in the Amazon, uh, he asked the mushroom, like, why us, you know, why Mm -hmm. my brother and I, uh, what -hmm. is the deal, you know? And he, said something like the mushroom responded because you and your brother are good Ah. which is an odd thing right to hear back from a mushroom Mm -hmm.
3: yeah but But not so because
2: yeah not so uh it uh the poet keats back a couple hundred years ago uh talks about truth and beauty truth is beauty that's all you need to know. And, wh- and what you're talking about are two examples of truthful people. It's hard to be truthful. And it's, it, it's beautiful when you see somebody that you can actually see through clearly that you know they're telling you the truth. There's a beauty there. And Terrence McKenna was not a physically gorgeous man, and his voice was not physically gorgeous. But there was a beauty that came out of him because I think it was the truth, what you're saying.
8: Yes, he, exactly what he you're expressed the truth that felt right. Or at least, and, and he used this term, it felt like true enough. Like, uh-huh. hey, you know, I don't really hear anybody else coming any closer to what the heck's probably going on here. Well, I can mm-hmm. tell you a couple of quick kind of sweet mm-hmm. Terrence things that stand out in my mind. The one is uh, he was giving his first talk in New York City. And I decided, well, I'm going to go see my buddy and kind of support him. I knew he was like, he let me know like he was a little bit nervous, I guess, about Mm -hmm. it. And it was at the Great Hall at the, you know, Cooper Union. Uh uh, President Lincoln has spoken there and you name it. So it's a grand place. And we went and we were invited by his then wife, Kat, to the after, you know, talk party. So we go and he sees me and we hug mm. and he says, Leo, what do you think? I said, that was fine. Man. And he says, <laughs> really? And I said, yeah, you were great, Terrence. Well, he says, I don't know. It was the first time ever on stone. <laughs> wow. I really? Really? <laughs> Yeah, he says, yes. He says, I was so nervous. I just didn't get high before the talk, and I just felt like I was naked up there. And I thought that was cute, you know? That was well, cute.
2: yeah, yeah. Well, and he has uh, said on, yeah, he he has said that uh, he's the great example that being stoned does not mean you're going to have to be stupid. You you can train yourself to be stoned any way you want. And Terence proves he has an amazing recall of names. Um, he digs back. He he ties things together so beautifully through all of cultural history, and he. And he shows us where we're going and why we have to have an archaic revival, why we have to get back to what we've lost or we will lose everything. It just, he's Uh, wonderful that way.
8: The other thing I remember is one time we were in this lovely retreat area in the woods for a week-long seminar. And so we'd take the afternoons and we'd do the wood walks and we'd find mushrooms and this and that. And so one day we were sitting on this log having a smoke, and he says, he was telling me about some of his personal, you know, life issues. And uh, he said, do me a favor. He says, if you hear anything about, like, a real job, would you let me know? (laughs) (laughs) This was at the peak of his upswing, you know? He was really, like, becoming well-known, and I thought that was awesome, too. He was really always questioning, just like he said, even an Amazonian shaman who ingests mm-hmm. these things properly is going to oh. question what the heck he's up to. You know, is this a valid thing that I'm into? And just to right. know that he was that baseline with himself was yeah. kind of nice, too. He wasn't totally about, you know, hey, I got a great mouth, you know, I got the chops. But he was more like questioning himself
4: yeah. all the time.
8: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I also, Bill, by the way, Bill, I was there when Terrence first met uh, Dr. Leary. I just that would have been a fascinating.
1: It. That would have been a fascinating conversation. It's one of the places you Well, tell us about that. Tell us about that meeting. Well,
8: that was at. Uh, hmm, it was at some early conference back. Uh, you've probably heard of the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies.
1: I maths. sure did. Yep, uh,
8: Mr. Rick Doblin, and uh, they're doing a lot of good work in terms of getting licensing for psychedelic research here and there when they can. And lately had a pretty big one with a cannabis research study that is apparently going through after a lot of hassle. But um, it was their first conference, I believe. It must have been 89. And I was there and they had all these luminaries, all the guys that were still alive, including Laura Huxley and, you know, all the major Uh. hip cats from the era. So we were chumming around with Tim, hadn't seen him in a while. And, here's Terrence right over here, just a little ways to my right. And I said, Hey, Terrence, come on over, man. And of course they knew each other was and they shake hands and everything. And I just, it was just that simple. But I saw what I saw was kind of like a handoff from Dr. Leary to Terrence Mm -hmm. McKenna in that handshake. You know, I just Mm -hmm. saw like a transmission of sorts and I'm like, yeah, you're the new dude, man. It's like good well, luck. well,
2: Aldous, did, uh, did that meeting happen before or after Leary came out of
8: prison? Oh, that was after. I mean, I think he, like, escaped from Vacaville or whatever it was. Oh, God, it was several years before that.
2: After he left prison, according to the woman uh, that he was his wife became his wife, she claims that he had a lobotomy. And I wanted to insert that into the conversation because you were standing right there at that juncture of, Timothy, you know, so do you think that's true that he had had a lobotomy? Wow.
8: That's like a one flew over the cuckoo's nest deal, right?
2: Yeah, yes. exactly.
8: You're, so you're saying, well, what you're suggesting is that happened in Vacaville prison before he escaped or around that time?
2: As a result, the the woman who says this uh, was this very beautiful, and I'm trying to find her name off. She has a radio show. Uh, Rosemary? No. Uh, her last name, is, well, she has a radio show called Future Primitive, and it's actually older than Future Theater, but I didn't know about it when we named our show and stuff. Future Primitive. And her last name, she was a very wealthy woman and very beautiful when she met Timothy Leary. And she said that they experimented on him and, and did terrible things to him in prison and that when you talk about handing it off, it, that very well may be that he didn't have it. You know, his brain was not quite the same. That's what I – that's why I wanted to ask you, you know, if you knew anything well, about this. And I'll get I her name. I love the and,
8: question, but no, I don't know anything about it.
2: Okay. Okay. I'll fill in for listeners who I'm talking about. I can't remember. Uh, Harcourt. Harcourt. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, Joanna. Joanna Harcourt. Yes. Right, of that
1: family. Of that family. Yes.
2: yes. And she's the person who said to uh, – uh, uh, f- I'm a huge fan of the Psychedelic Salon. I don't know whether you know about that, Aldous Psychedelic Salon, Leonardo, uh, Lorenzo. Oh, Lorenzo. Um, Lorenzo. Um, Lorenzo. He's basically a uh, huge archivist of Terrence's stuff and lots of other people. Sasha Shogun, stuff like that. He's kind of – if you don't know psychedelic salon, bookmark it and tell tell Lorenzo. I said hi. Um, but she said on, on on his show that she was raised a rich kid, a really really rich kid. And she said they tr- they have to take compassion and empathy out of you. If you, they can't get rid of the compassion and empathy, if you're being raised rich, you then will be a, you won't be rich anymore because you have to have no empathy to be able to have money and then see suffering around you and stuff. So I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, So anyway, so I want to go back to Timothy Leary and Terrence McKenna, and you're saying to Terrence and Timothy, hey, come over here. I'd love this.
8: Well, it was a pretty simple affair, and it was more like a party at that point. So it was just nice to see the two generations kind of hook up right there. And they're both like my friends. And I just felt really good about, you know, at that time, Tim only lived another two, three years after that. Okay, and we didn't right. know that Terrence was going to leave the party early either. So no, no. it's just kind of a sweet memory for me. Remembering that they actually did get to meet each other. And I really don't think they got together that often at all. Um, but I think Bill asked, like, how I got to meet him. I actually yes. was a, an apprentice of an Apache man who had been the Native American spiritual teacher, in quotes, at Millbrook up in Poughkeepsie. And uh, that was where they had the Millbrook mansion, which was uh, William Hitchcock, Peggy Hitchcock, the Mellon fortune kind of money.
3: And right, they had the right.
8: large estate up there, and that's where, you know, they were doing a lot of experimenting, tripping around, and that's where the movie stars and music stars were all coming to turn on. Well, of course, they needed an Indian guru, you know, as in a Native American guru. Mm-hmm. So my, my teacher was that man, and he had come out of Millbrook. And he used to date Tim's sister back before Tim had done the mushrooms in 1961. So Mm. he was already a friend of Tim's. And when Tim came back from Mexico, he called his Apache friend because he knew his Apache friend was quite aware of magical plants having Mm. been raised in the peyote way and all that. So they needed somebody, you know, they wanted somebody, they wanted a little tradition they didn't really Mm -hmm. get too far with it. So that was my teacher when I was a kid, you know, I was raised around reservations and, Always running around with that crowd so well, was, he, he actually, was he
2: was he was he the ahead. was he the was he the real thing or was he uh pretending did he trick them him? or was he no 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 the the, the, the native
8: American the shaman man
2: you're talk the shaman you're oh, talking about
8: oh he was the real thing all right yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I spent many years with that man uh because he was the real thing it was hard to like uh not try to spend some years with him while he was still around.
2: Well, and well, how that's, long that's did he, How long did he tolerate being with the group up in, uh, you know, the Timothy Millbrook. Leary
8: group, Millbrook? Well, that's that's the thing. It didn't fit his ethos. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first came upon this Apache man, I was all about. Hey, I would look at his pictures, his scribe books, and there he is with Tim Leary's sister, like in 1958. And there's a proceeding up through the Millbrook years. I mean, all the movie stars. And here he is, you know, all these photos. And I'm all, hey, man, that is cool, mm. right? And he's all, yeah. You know, problem with Tim is he was into chemicals, cities, and women. He's mm-hmm. never going to get anything done in this world. <laughs> and I was like, okay, buddy. So, mm. But Tim in those days was doing these uh, talking tours. Uh, particularly uh, for a while with G. Gordon Liddy, I guess, and then with uh, yes, and there's Curtis a reason Silva. for that too. Yeah, and then yes, right. and then Curtis Stool yes, was another one, right? So yeah, he, so he actually sent me uh, this Apache man sent me to give Tim some gifts. You know, it was kind of like a makeup thing because uh, the Apache man had split away from Millbrook. Just he couldn't really take what he considered, you know, very non-traditional goings around, you know, and it was pretty much a party kind of situation. So he started his own ashram, and he moved back to Arizona, where his people were from, just a few years after the Millbrook thing blew up. Well, anyway, he sent this gift through me to Tim, and Tim saw the medallion around my neck, which was a casting that he had made back in Millbrook. He recognized her by the way, and we were kind of immediate friends, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it was actually that night. It was at ASU, Arizona State University, where he and Solo were doing a debate that the place got shut down because the crowd just went wild and they were like all about what Tim was up to and they were not having anything of Curtis Sola's stuff. And mm-hmm. the crowd got so raucous that the security uh, actually pulled the fire alarm and ushered everybody mm-hmm. out of the debate. So
1: I vaguely remember a, that. I vaguely I vaguely remember that story because Curtis would talk about it years later. Yeah, it was
8: it was something. I mean, oh. it was wild. It, it felt like the '60s all over again. They just thought yeah. they were sure somebody was going to light up that campus or something. You know.
2: Yeah, and then Curtis went on to found a sort of citizens' police force back in the '90s, right?
8: The Guardian mm-hmm. Angels. Yep. Yeah. The Guardian Angels, and, I think and- still has the Guardian- a radio show. We're used to.
1: He used to have a radio show, and the other person, of course, that always fascinated me because – well, I know why there was a relationship, but that fascinated me was the relationship between Gordon Liddy and Timothy Leary because you'd think they would be polar opposites, but considering where Timothy Leary's origins were, they were not. Yeah, they were part of the same club
8: just following somewhat different paths, but very similar in terms of personality. You know, Liddy's book will, I read that and Tim had that same kind of like fiery will from what I remember. One of the stories he said is uh, if he ever had an epitaph that he picked it up on an airplane where he was just sitting there minding his own business. He says this, uh, this large, he happened to mention she was large, just, a normal looking Midwestern lady that he didn't think would be hip to be what, who he was at all turns to him and says, You're Dr. Timothy Leary, aren't you? And he says, Yes, I am. And she goes, Well, congratulations. You gave the man hell. <laughs> and he said that's what he wanted as his epitaph. You gave the man, he gave the man hell. So mm. I kind of saw that in Tim. I almost respected that about him more than anything else. He was a pretty fun loving individual. And, you know, he didn't like being the, the normal one in the crowd. And he was pretty out there.
1: Well, what's so fascinating about that whole story of the generation of LSD and, and how it was used and how it came out of um, United States. Well, it, it, how, it, how it came out of intelligence services. I mean, what it was used for initially, it was almost kind of a curative. And um, when... Army intelligence, because they were using it in the Pentagon. They were doping, without telling anybody, they were doping the morning coffees of members of the general staff to see how confused they would be. And that was one of our attempts to, um, in the Cold War, to see if we could confuse the Soviet general staff by. By doping them with LSD and and all the rumors and conspiracies about the use of LSD, dumping it in the water and doing – these were all true. These were actual plans that we had. And supposedly as the story goes and you would – I'd love to hear your comment on this. It was that Timothy Leary – discovered and 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 he was a part of this this was cia and 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 he was a part of this and and timothy leary discovered that there was a whole other aspect to lsd which was not to use a catchphrase of the 60s but kind of mind altering mind opening and that's when he became the proselytizer of this and his friend from harvard mary Pinchot, uh mary pinchott Meyer actually uh Ben was bringing it to the White House from Leary. And so the White House was getting, turning on and tuning in uh, in 1961, 1962.
8: You have to ask yourself how that influenced American politics at the time. Well, if I'll tell K- you how it influenced one part of was actually getting the cosmic vision, and he was getting a little nooky along with it, more than likely. You know, well, that'll in influence the, a man.
1: It sure I mean, would. Even if he to the, is the president. Well, part of that cosmic vision, if you look at some of the crazy memos coming out of um, the Kennedy administration in the year or so before the assassination, there was this – he was apparently engaging in pillow talk with Marilyn Monroe when they were having their affair. And one of the things he was doing was he was telling her not just about the CIA trying to assassinate Castro – but telling her about things like having established the base at Area 51 outside of Rachel, in Nevada. And again, he told her the story of Roswell and the artifacts from Roswell that wound up at Area 51. And so that, uh, Marilyn Monroe was threatening Bobby Kennedy. She'd had an affair with both brothers. And so she was threatening Bobby Kennedy. To, that she was going to disclose – she thought the JFK was going to divorce Jackie and marry her. That was her delusion. Mm. And so when it became apparent that she was being passed between the brothers, she was furious. And she threatened Bobby over the phone. A conversation that was uh, tapped by both the FBI – because Hoover hated the Kennedys – and the CIA – because they were keeping tabs on Marilyn. You should read her CIA files someday. Mm-hmm. And the fascinating thing was, at the bottom of the, the transcript of the CIA's tapping of Marilyn Monroe's conversation with Bobby Kennedy are the two file designations. I think it's blue fly and moon dust. But are the two file designations for, A, things that fall from outer space— and objects in outer space. And you have to wonder, if this is a fake memo, a fake transcript, why would the file designations be accurate? (laughs) And so, candidates Go ahead.
8: Well, what that makes me wonder, like I say, is how does that influence American politics, even, I think, in terms of American consciousness. If you've ever... um, Read, for example, uh, the book Acid Dreams. The mm-hmm. I think it's subtitled the CIA LSD and the Sixties Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Right, sure. Uh, I I and there's another one, Storming Heaven, another book about the very same subject. You know, right? That and I did Acid the, Dreams and MK Ultra exposés. You, you you look into this, and I do believe a lot was learned. I I, I that's why I still support maps. I think there is a lot to learn, but it's like a black budget learning. It's like well, whatever's well, sure. going on at Area 51, it? it's not for us to know. And so right. I personally what? wonder, and I believe that we have been permanently affected by LSD research just culturally. they're They're really, I believe, able to, let's just say, create a subjective wave of consciousness and let's not waver from that. What it reminds me of is what Dr. Leary used to say. He said, clearly, LSD does cause insanity in those who it do does. not take it. Those
2: <laughs> who
1: do, in right. those who do not right. take it. Yeah. Timothy well, Leary because, was such a phenomenal threat to um, organize stuff back, let's say, circa 1965, that I, I was asked when, when I became a, a graduate resident advisor, Leary was holding court over in the East Village on St. Mark's Place, and the various universities in Manhattan, well, actually in the whole city, were so spooked by Leary and the influence he would have, and just imagine, this is the East Village circa 1965, and so all these kind of administration types would show up trying to get intel on what Leary's plans were. And Leary was very obvious about his plans. He said, I want to turn on an entire generation. I want them to tune in and I want them to drop out. That's what I want. That America needs a reset of consciousness. And this is, remember, this is, if you know the television series Mad Men, this is at, the, at that cusp, when the whole, Mad Men uni- or the whole Mad Men universe of Madison Avenue was really holding sway. I just finished a book on Mickey Rooney, and basically there's a whole chapter on literally how television programming that affected the United States through the 1950s and the early 60s literally came out of the Madison Avenue advertising agencies. And, and so therefore
8: American consciousness is my point. You exactly,
1: Right. And right. you get the and...
8: alternative version which was largely associated with like that whole aquarian ideal. That right. was kind of bursting out of the seams back then. And, and I kind of really so... still, I still believe that, you know, the game is still on if you know it is. I mean, oh, to right. use a campy to, to use a campy analogy, one of my favorite uh, B-grade movies is the John Carpenter flick They Live.
1: Oh, really? The
8: most freaks listening to the show probably are aware of, you know? And mm-hmm. there was a point where when I first saw the movie, I looked at it and I see the sunglasses. Put on the sunglasses and you can see how it really is. Well, I told my friends, those sunglasses are a metaphor for LSD. I'm telling you. Well, it was like 10 years later, I wanted to show it to one of my sons. And so we watched the movie and I noticed for the first time on my second viewing that the lenses actually have a name. They're called the Hoffman lenses. Ah, nice. As in Doctor nice. Albert
2: Hoffman. Nice. And mm-hmm.
8: so, nice. It was just recently, maybe you know, a couple of years ago, I read an interview of John Carpenter, and they were going on, and they talked to him about they live, and he said what a lot of people don't realize is the sunglasses and they live were a metaphor for LSD. Nice.
2: Well, nice catch. so
8: I guess that's yeah. what I'm saying. I believe the game is still on, and I'm not like a proponent of LSD, but let me tell you, I was an innocent kid. I was an altar boy, you know, raised in Southern Arizona in a small mining town, like I say. And I was exposed to some interesting stuff, but it was these uh, college students that were running around with the Brown rights movement that I'm like, what is up with these people? They're just Mm -hmm. thinking different. Mm -hmm. And I was really attracted to it. And that was the crowd who tipped me off. Well, look, buddy, you know, here's partially why. So... I really believe that it was my, uh, my psychedelic opening that made me this way. And sometimes I look back and I say, well, this is the LSD damage that they warned us about. You know, the chromosome damage. I got it. It's true. But uh, I, consider, yeah. Yeah. I consider myself instead of damaged goods, I just take the S yes off that and I'm damaged good.
3: Mm, but it
8: definitely good. gave yeah. me a new perspective yeah. that I appreciate, you know, so I'm kind of still a proponent, even though really... It's the last thing I would be doing with my evenings anymore, you know. I, like I say, you know, I'm kind of like in a dad-grandpa situation here. So there's right. not a lot of room for that.
2: Well, um, Terrence McKenna said that the there were barrels of the very best um, kind of drug, and I can't remember what it was, at, at SRS. SRS had ordered um i th- i don't know whether it was lsd i guess it wouldn't have been mdma at the time i think it must have been lsd and uh taryn said that they were able to dip into this stuff this unlimited quantity of stuff And so i wonder i'm surprised that timothy leary went to lsd after i didn't know he had started with mushrooms it would i from my reading it would seem like mushrooms would encourage you not to take lsd
0: sorry to cut you off folks uh, we have a caller uh caller you're live on future theater Hi, everybody. at Sheffis down here in Tucson. Hi, Sheffis.
1: Hey, how are you? How are you?
0: Good.
7: Hey, it's a good show tonight. It, as soon as I heard Aldis mention um, They Live, I had to call because it's one of my favorite movies.
3: <laughs> there you
7: go. Yeah, buddy. It's yeah, good. Aldis. It's, so did yeah. You, I don't know, Aldis, if you remember the... The fight scene, how long it was in that movie. Oh, God, yes. Oh, the, yeah. the
8: longest fight scene ever. I yeah. yeah, and John,
7: John Carpenter said the reason why it was so long, it, it, it represented the catharsis it would take for someone to change their paradigm from the old to the new.
1: Now, oh, is, it was also. And, because and, and, of and, and let me ask yeah. you this. And let me ask you this. Okay, do you think that Carpenter is reverse ex, uh, is reverse engineering the explanation for that scene? Because a whole other story is it was a much shorter fight, and the two of them kept on going because they were obviously professional wrestlers. This was what they did for a living, and so they just kept on going. And Carpenter said, "Just let the scene go, let it roll."
7: Yeah, and. And then, well, it could be, but I, you know, I've I've heard an interview with him where he explained that he was thinking, you know, he can edit it down if he wanted to, and he just mm-hmm. wanted to let them go as long as they could, so he could, <laughs> you know, have more opportunity for the best best scene. But um, yeah, I think that movie is, is very um, underrated, definitely, and well, the wonder, the melodic yeah. music in it is is fascinating.
2: Yeah, I haven't so seen. I don't remember. It, I don't remember I don't remember the music. I think a second another viewing is probably a good thing for everybody. Yes,
1: I think I think I think that's we're going to. I
2: think we're going re- to I think I think uh Angel will probably get it up. Well, no, actually Whoa. never
1: mind. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a whole different show, folks. I don't know what is wrong <laughs> a with my Oh, different show. Wow. <laughs>
7: So the music is just a this, this melodic deep tone that represents the sleep that everyone's in. The sleep state and in so just throughout the whole movie you just hear this do doom do doom doom do doom and it just keeps going on and on and on and but it, it really <laughs>
3: yeah.
7: yeah. Yeah, that Aldus is good. Now this I also wanted to ask you, so uh we're actually meeting up at a rush concert.
8: Yeah, we're, we're meeting up, I think, at Alice Cooper's place, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm. We're going to meet there before the restaurant. Lucky. Wow. Yeah, and this that's... is in Tucson. I love Tucson. Is, is this going to be in Tucson? It's going to be in Phoenix, in Phoenix, actually. Phoenix. In Phoenix.
7: Yeah. But the one thing Alice and I do share, which I wanted to talk to him about, is uh, I, I think we're both urban farmers.
8: Yeah, you know, you're in Tucson. As a matter of fact, I used to be uh, one of the, pretty much the main grower for the Food Conspiracy Co-op down
7: there. Oh, yeah, and, that's a great place. I'm there almost every week.
8: Well, those are my buddies in there, and uh, I fed them produce for, I think, about 10 years. And it was really something. I needed to prove that I could do it. It's a sure way to rest well at night, sleep like, you know, really deeply. But You know, the Tucson economy was driving me crazy. Growing lettuce in Tucson for the co-op was like a big haul. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was also working for the University of Arizona, kind of like at the same time, trying to make a living. So uh, when you drive around campus down there, a lot of that shrubbery, a lot of the trees, a lot of things there I also put in. I did my time on campus there. And I really miss Tucson, by the way.
7: Oh, I love it here, but uh, yeah, I think that, uh, well, what I love about that store are all the heirloom, um, you know, plantings that they have there, and uh, I buy a lot from seed magazines, but I, you know, they also have a lot of starts there, heirloom starts that you just can't find anywhere else.
8: Well, I used to grow their starts as well, buddy, so yeah, it's quite the place, and feels like home when I'm there still. I always drop into the co-op, see my friends. Well, we got a lot what to talk about. To this. in Phoenix, by the way. I look forward to it. Hey, by the way, I just went to the Rush show at Madison Square Gardens, and that thing was crazy fun. So it's going to oh, be a good night looks, coming up.
7: It looks crazy fun. I was on their last tour, what was it, two years ago, where they played motion pictures in its entirety during the concert. Or <laughs> moving pictures, pardon me, in its entirety. Right. Yeah, it was, I just, yeah the, the bar was set high after that last one.
3: Okay, well,
1: then. Yeah. thank you for calling. Appreciate it. All right, it. thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy the show. Okay. See you soon, man. Thanks, thank you Yates.
0: Thanks,
1: Jeff. Right, so, Nancy, <laughs> what was your
0: question? That bar was high.
2: That bar was high. Um, yes. Let's see here. Um, I don't know. I was listening to I, I wanted to know what a short is. You said you have, you provided shorts for the um, the farmer's market, for the conspiracy. Oh, b- starts. Vege,
8: starts. Starts. they early what, starts, yeah. What what does that
2: mean, starts?
8: You know, basically like baby chili, baby uh, tomatoes, baby lettuce starts, all your little vegetable starts, just like you get at a nursery.
2: Oh, oh I see. not, the, not, not back in the day when I
8: was doing it, I was being, you know, uh, an early innovator of heirloom vegetable starts. Now it's kind of a thing. You can kind of buy them around now. You find, you know, heirloom tomatoes for sale at
1: nursery. You see that. Yep, yeah, right. I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that now. Even even here on the East Coast, you can see these heirloom tomatoes, and, and um,
8: yeah, and you find them in have,
1: restaurants as well. Yes, indeed, you do. You well, do. We knew, it's a guy, new
2: we knew a guy in uh, Venice when we lived out in California. Who, when we were living on the boat, he had a he he had a great gimmick or a great business idea, he would go to rich people's houses and convince them to let him have a little corner of... The, he called himself a gentleman farmer, um, a city farm, uh, an urban farmer. an Urban, urban farmer. farmer, right. Yeah. Urban farmer. And he would go and, and basically in Beverly Hills have a little space in different people's houses, and then he would provide fabulous lettuce and stuff like that to the restaurants from the space. Sorry to break in, folks.
0: Uh, We have another caller, 719. You're live on Future Theater.
5: Hi, this is Kevin out here in Colorado Springs. I just wanted to call and comment on what I've heard so far because I'm a child of the 60s. I was born in 59, and I was a child, obviously, for a good part of the hippie generation. But from my perspective, you talked about the Occupy Movement. And what I saw happen with the Occupy Movement is what all too often happens. Egos took over. And where it was from, it wasn't from the ground up thing, but there were people, being humans, that conflict developed. And I think a lot of the problem was that some people didn't know how to manage those conflicts that naturally develop within an uh, organization. And then... Talking about Liddy and Leary being together is almost like talking about two polar opposites being together. But I also think that's maybe a metaphor for what, I, what else I see happening these days because you have a so called left side of the political spectrum. And you have a right side of the political spectrum. But there are a whole lot of people that are coming together and realizing how we've been suppressed, how we've been kept down. And when I say we, I talk about the 99% of us. Right. And what I see happening, albeit it's in its infancy stages, I see a lot of people starting to make connections from the right and left, and it probably won't happen in my lifetime, but there will be a day when the people will take back, not this I want to say this country, but I really mean the world. Either we take back the world for who it's meant to be, mm-hmm or the world is going to eat us up. Those who are so greedy that they can't see anything but the greed, they're the ones that are
1: No, that's right. No, And I agree with you because you're seeing that right now. You're seeing that right now, uh, Colorado Springs. You're seeing that in Greece. And you're hearing someone like Bernie Sanders, whether you agree with this politics or not, one of the things he's saying is that given the amount of money that the European banks have and given yep. the level of wealth that he's saying the Greeks are right to say no, that why should they suffer for austerity? Yes, they were profligate in their spending, but why should they suffer in, in, in that austerity, austerity when you've got bankers who literally run the economics of the world? And I think you're seeing exactly what you said. Yep. So I just
5: wanted to comment on that. I'll, I'll leave my comments at that. Um, but I, I'm a new listener, a fairly new listener, to the DMD network. And um, I've communicated a little with you, Nancy, over Twitter. But I just, I'm just i excited to find the Dark Matter Network, and I'm even more excited about Art Bell coming back, Mm. and so, you know, we're
0: kind of impatiently
1: waiting for Welcome aboard,
0: my friend. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard. Enjoy the ride.
1: I think the
2: tribes tribes are gathering.
1: That's right. This is the Mm in-gathering of the tribes. Okay, thank you, uh, Colorado Springs, for calling. We appreciate it, and welcome to the network. Thank Mm -hmm. you.
2: Mm -hmm. Call early, call often. (laughs)
3: uh, Indubitably. So,
2: Aldis, how did you get involved with listening to Art Bell? In, in since you're, since I met you on Bellgab, um, how did you, I think you've been on Bellgab a long time, right?
8: Uh, let's see. I believe I joined in 2011. So I think mm-hmm. it's coming up four or five years-ish, something like that. Yep. And yeah. I, I go back with Art Bell to, I think it was 79, 80. I used to work a night shift job at the local copper mines where I was all alone on a night shift, you know, monitoring mm. uh, Pumps and wow. water flow systems, and having to stay up all night. So as a young kid, I would scan the AM radio and get the DX, get the skips at night, which I, I was, I've been a radio radiohead all my life, and so of course I'm going to find art on. I think it was K don there out of Vegas, mm-hmm. broadcast mm-hmm. on the top from the top of some mm-hmm. building there.
3: Right, and
8: I love that show. It was not yet coast to coast, but I was all about it. That's when uh, mm-hmm. Larry King. Was still on the air too. Right. right. So I kind of listened to Larry King and I'm like, well, this is the white bread and this is the whole wheat with poppy seeds, you know? The two shows <laughs> were like yeah. different sides of a coin or something. And I was like, who is this guy? And yeah. actually, one of my little things that I, uh, early when I got on Belgab, which was I think George and Mary Sucks at the time. <laughs> uh, I posted, hey... Which I agree with, thing. by the way. I'm, just I'm <laughs> the guy who suggested that uh, Terrence go on Art Bell originally. Because he did ask me. Terrence said, oh, there's this guy, Art Bell, broadcasts out of uh, Vegas. But I think Coast to Coast had just started in those days. And right, he said, right. I was told that he would be the man to like, do a radio show interview with. What do you think? And I said, Terrence, this guy is perfect for you. You wow. guys are going to hit it off, yeah. get along, la la la. He's like, okay then, all right. But I think wow. it was another four or five years before, at least, before they actually did the first interview. And it was after he published something, probably Food of the Gods or something like that.
2: Well, you've been so instrumental then in putting in, in, in Terence's um, still being alive, basically, because you can go and get the Art Bill Terence McKenna interview. I hope because I'm gonna. I didn't. I've never heard it. And is oh, there one in last
8: interview? That no, last it, one where he no. knew he was dying, that thing is incredible. Talk about eschatology and, and wow. speaking to the wow. truth of, like, what is. You're like, hey, guy, you're apparently about to die. What do you got to say? <laughs> Only Ardell can pull that off.
2: Wow, you mean that exists? I didn't know. Wow. Yeah, the
8: final interview, it was uh, it. probably.
3: Whoa.
8: i think bet Keith has it, too. Passed on, I believe, something like that. Wow. Can't remember well, I re- the year. Yeah, it was wow, probably. wow. wow. Ninety-three, something like oh, that. I, I can't quite remember.
2: I'll probably listen to it uh, before before we even do our show tonight, um, because I read his la- the last interview of him, but it was a print interview, and that you know, and it was just just heartbreaking. But wow, he, yeah,
8: yeah. There were like four Art Bell, Terrence McKenna interviews that I recall, possibly five, and that last one was really heavy. As a matter of fact, Art actually had a prayer. Uh, experiment for Terrence on the oh. air. I don't know. Probably some people there uh, remember, but we had like a group quiet medica- uh, medication. It was a oh. medication and a meditation uh, yeah. live on Art Bell uh, coast to coast one night before Terrence passed on, you know, just sending him good vibes. That was pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Wow. Wow. I didn't know that. I'm, well, I more homework for, to do. And it's all, if it's on YouTube, that's a blessing. It's a fabulous, fabulous thing.
0: And and so, uh oh, so, uh oh, Bill, Bill, yes, yes. Wait, no, wait, for, go ahead. wait, wait, wait for it, Bill, wait for it. Yeah. You, Nancy, he's, you know where I'm going with that, right?
2: He's getting refreshed. Yeah. Mister
0: Roboto, Bill Burns. <laughs> and okay, he should ahead. be back on any second now. Nancy, Bill, there you go, Bill.
1: I'm here. I I am back. Okay. So, uh, I'm still fascinated by, uh, um. Timothy Leary's roots coming out of Harvard and his and actually his relationship with Huxley, because it was Huxley, and I don't know how much conversation he you had about this, but Huxley was warning Leary about going off the deep end with LSD. Oh yeah. yeah.
8: They were considered the intelligentsia. The Huxley, Osmond, uh, that that kind of crowd, you know. And Tim was just going off the rails. And I think one of the biggest things was uh, that they knew Tim was basically um, getting late and having a good time. And that there was parting going on. Somebody, I think it might have been G. Gordon Liddy, uh, he said that he had heard that the panties were dropping faster than the acid up at Mel Whoa. Mm -hmm. And he was, at the time, he was a DA there in Poughkeepsie County. Mm -hmm. Uh, You probably remember this, but he's the guy who originally busted temp. They busted in. Right, exactly. He was naked from the waist down, as I recall, and he, you know, stands there and says, yeah, what is it? And he's like, well, we're here to search the place. And what they did was, I think they didn't find any weed, but they found some DMT that was being smoked, and at the time it was not yet scheduled. So there were actually no charges, but there were a lot of, you know, pretty interesting press reports about what they found there at the mansion when they went in. And that's eventually how, you know, they got on the tour circuit together because it was the dude who first busted Tim. So they went back to that.
1: Right. What? So, so, so Gordon Liddy, even though they, they, they they kind of came out of the same nook, which was the CIA, What turned Liddy against Leary? Well, I think Liddy was also married. And
8: really, the thing I mentioned about the panties dropping faster than the acid, I think that was their key in. At the time, you know, it was kind of like not quite pre, kind of mid-sexual revolution. And that was some scandalous stuff. I think just based on that, he knew he was going to get good press. And guess what? Through that, he ends up on the plumber's crew in the White House. So in a way, Leary was his direct step up to the White House. It's kind of commonly accepted. That's how he got his
1: name. That's fascinating. I mean, I didn't know. that. Tim
8: Tim Leary at one time was called by the FBI, America's most dangerous man.
1: That's why all the administration folks in at Universities and colleges in Manhattan, they'd gotten alerted by the FBI about Timothy Leary, that Timothy Leary was somehow going to start a whole revolution among college students. Let's just say the class of 1969 that was just coming in in 1965, and he was going to start that revolution, and they were panic-stricken because kids that had gone to college with me, basically kids born in the 1940s, were – you know, we were not of that generation, and we were the ones basically in charge in graduate schools of these kids of the freshmen coming in. And I'm telling you, we would see kids. This was again in 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 Greenwich Village, right on the edge of the East Village. We would see these kids coming in from Kansas and from and from Missouri and from you know, Kentucky, and they'd come in literally hair-brushed, clean-shaven, looking just as square as square could be. And inside of nine months, they had beards down to their knees. They were like little <laughs> flies growing out of their hair. They were basically, they had turned on, tuned in, and literally totally dropped out. Well, And I that wonder was if I could... dangerous
8: at the time. That was really a dangerous thing. I mean, I will just tell you, I do believe he was America's most dangerous man, by the way.
2: <laughs> well, um, I wanted to, since we're, we're running 15 more minutes here, uh, can we uh, switch the conversation to Paul Stamets, the mushroom Oh, guy? yes, go ahead, yes. Because I, again, if you don't know who this is, you can go to, to I've only seen him on the TED conferences uh, lecture circuit and, and his own website. But how did you, how did you come to meet
8: him? Well, I guess one of my strengths in life is, like, I can't figure stuff out very well, so I just, like, follow synchronicity, Mm
3: -hmm. and
8: uh, I remember when Paul put out his first little book, I think it was published in 1976, Mm -hmm. it was called "Psilocybe Mushrooms, and Their Allies, still in print. Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm.
8: Um, I corresponded, back in the day, I used to do a lot of corresponding with the people that were involved in that kind of situation that were like cutting edge, including Terrence and his brother when they released their first book. So I was all about growing things and I wanted to figure out how to grow these mushrooms. I wrote him a letter and he was a student, I believe at Evergreen up -hmm. in Washington at the time. Poor guy, you know, he was barely able to squeeze out this book, however he did. And we started corresponding and I basically, we started trading, you know, biological specimens you know spores and this and that and so he had a sterile transfer hood that he had made he put together which he now sells and that's the unit you use to make spore transfers in the sterile environment shoots out Mm -hmm. through an atpa filter you know
3: Mm -hmm. and
8: he was just broke enough at the time to where he offered to sell me his so wow You know, like I say, we we didn't know what was going to be coming down the road, but no time at all, he started that Fungi Perfecti business, fungi.com. Right. And I became, you know, one of his biggest supporters. I'm like, yeah, guy, let's do this. So just from afar, because, you know, I was like 1,000, 1,500 miles away from where he lived. We did our correspondence and trading around. And eventually we started running into each other at these uh maps conferences and other psychedelic entheogenic conferences around the country and so over the years we just have maintained this whole relationship and to this day i just love when i tune in to uh, you know sometimes even coast to coast and i hear his voice on there he's Mm -hmm. also a guy that you can really listen to and kind of like rolls you along with it his whole ted talks thing you know how many people have seen that
2: Right, well,, uh, and then you just follow him because I believe that if you if he if you if you just listen to what he said and continue the research kind of in your own local environment, start looking around and you know maybe corresponding with him because I have a feeling that there's not an ill on the planet that the mushrooms themselves couldn't eat up or fix you know the the spills and the messes that we're making. it seems like the mushrooms could help if we would ask their help. And that goes back to Terrence. It seems like um, if you listen to Terrence, you begin to wonder who really is running this whole show. You know, the monkeys that wander around to tend the mushrooms or the mushrooms themselves who let us grow them, you know. Let us let them live, you know. They let us live here on the planet too, you know. So that was why I wanted to bring well, up that- Paul.
8: That is the fundamental uh, basis of my life view. by the way, that we're living on this incredible spinning stone in space and all this stuff that's growing around us, right even including the animals and the fungi kingdom and the plant kingdom, uh, everything has its lesson. And of all the things that I've checked out in this world, I mean, the mushrooms are really something else. I'm not quite the fan of like tripping out on mushrooms, but I think oh my god, every naked monkey needs to do that at least one time. It's kind of like my opinion. <laughs> and and I, uh, I would hope yep. you know, I mean, I have my own children, and I'm like not into them tripping out as much as a hippie as I am. You know, but I did raise them knowing, hey, you know, someday when it's for you and you can be in a cool place, this thing is really awesome. So, like, right, try to grow right. up and get your education so, like, you have the information to synthesize when it comes upon you. It's kind of like well, right. and, I and, believe it.
2: And, yeah, and I think we have grandchildren also, and I'm concerning myself. As I begin to dis- – I was not able to be a hippie. I, I, because of life circumstances, was the silent majority or the other side – growing up and now that I have grandchildren and I'm just, and I'm learning about all the Okay. You said something in your bio that I wanted to kind of reflect on. And that's that everything we've been taught is not true just about, you know, um, how did you put it? Um, The most, the most important effect on me has been to convince me uh, that nothing is, as we were told it was. And that as an older person is kind of shocking to discover that you you know, and it's Terence McKenna who kind of shows you history, uh, you know, the uh, the burning of of vast sums of women, you know, the amount of trouble to try to keep women, uh, and then that it, you sent a picture of yourself standing in front of a quotation in New York, and I can't find the picture right now, um, where it's saying anybody that tries to, to you know legislate what you think, what was did you know that you you got it took a picture in front of a carved. Plaque or I think something.
8: it or, says something like, the opening of the mind is the beginning of all knowledge. Something like that.
2: Something, well, it was more about, you know, what Terrence kind of points out is how much the culture has tried to keep us from thinking. Because if you really start to think and turn rocks over, you realize, hmm, you know, um, it's stupid to give your money to a corporation so that they can sell you a little something, and then then you think you're happy until the little something breaks. So there's a <laughs> sort of another way of living. So yeah,
8: that's what the but, parents used to call thy kingdom come. I thought that was a pretty good phrase. Yeah, like we just keep like crapping out things, and we think right. that's going to do
1: it for us, but it's not. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, that is actually a, a, a that is a philosophy. What Terence is talking about that is a philosophy that grew out of um, late seventeenth century. Avenue. Well, but it was really began in late seventeenth century, early eighteenth century Europe. Actually, England, as a matter of fact. Well, wouldn't
2: it have when, been? Wouldn't it have been the Dutch, the Burgers, trying to? Well, that whole
1: that to- whole group in the in the late Renaissance early industrial revolution early trading revolution it it came with the age of exploration where you had a whole class of basically the bourgeoisie it became the first moneyed class in human civilization i mean uh, they were preceded by land was land and produce was the border but really just at the cusp of the renaissance you had this moneyed class, and that was the beginning of the middle class. And they actually transformed society around the world, or at least in, in, in Western culture. And that's where the idea of consumption grew up. And the trading of things yes. that
8: could not necessarily be manufactured you know, where you were it seemed to be a big part of that Dutch trading mastery there.
1: Right, and that, too, believe it or not, that too came out of the um, out of the end of the Crusades, because that was the first time East and West, since the great schism, uh, began communicating with each other so but but the whole age of consumerism really started there, and so Madison Avenue basically picked up on something that already existed and played on the fact that we now had a medium radio that could sell the goods.
8: Well, and now you look, and I see, like, a generation of young kids, including my children and grandchildren, who are not so sure that thy them come is what it's all about either.
0: Bill, got to wrap up.
8: And at the same time, they don't have the classical religious temperament. So they're right in between, and in a way, I'm looking and seeing that the danger that they were, like, trying to keep the freshman class of, you know, 65 from, uh, it's kind of too late. Oh, yeah. A lot of young people that um,
1: I love. We've got to wrap up, guys.
0: Yeah, we got to wrap it
1: up, yeah, guys. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. We're out of time. The music so, is playing. I totally agree with you. Okay, so I want to thank all this Burbank as our guest. What a fascinating discussion. Uh, everybody have a wonderful week. I hope you had a great July 4th. We are your co-hosts, Bill and Nancy Burns, on Future Theater Live on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio, wishing everybody a wonderful summer, and we'll see you next week. Stay tuned for Bella Haven at 3 a.m.